everybody, and welcome to Nintendo Week for the end of week of November 26th through December 3rd. I'm your host, Colin McIsaac, and as always, I'm joined by Alex Plant. Welcome to December Ween. And Ben Lamoureux. Ready to talk some Zelda. Yes, this week we will be answering your listener questions all about Nintendo Switch in the Mystery House. And after that, we are going to head to the tea table to discuss the enormous dump of Zelda secrets Nintendo revealed just the other day at the Game Awards. There was a new trailer, they showed off new humans, friends, and foes, and critters, and crows, and we're going to board the hype train and ride out the station in just a bit. But first, let's visit the Mystery House. Welcome to the Mystery House, where we answer questions from listeners like you. If you have your own questions you'd like us to answer, you can send them in to colin at gamnesia.com. That's C-O-L-I-N at G-A-M-N-E-S-I-A. We love hearing from you guys, and you've got a really good chance of being answered on the show. Uh, This week, we are unloading all your questions about Nintendo Switch, so thank you all so much for your emails. Thank you guys for the, the listener responses, too. I often don't get a chance to reply to these emails, but I do read every one of them, and they are so very appreciated, so uh, even if you haven't sent in a question, you've just sort of let us know what you think of the show. Thank you guys so much for listening, and thank you for your support. Um, Our first one comes from Andrew Gonzalez. Hello, Andrew, who asks... Seeing how the Switch is less gimmicky, in quotes, he says, I hate that term, uh, do you think Nintendo will have a Wii Sports or Nintendo Land software equivalent for the next console? Uh, Alex, I have the feeling you want to start this one off? Sure. I think they should have something that's kind of brand new and kind of reaches out to a market that they, that they don't already have. Um, they mm-hmm. said when we saw the Switch reveal that they were focusing on hardcore uh, Nintendo fans, and we saw that with the software they showed. But, uh, you know, if they just release the same software they released last time around, uh, they're just going to get mostly the same people they got last time around. So they really mm-hmm. need to, to reach beyond their traditional sort of audience. Yeah. Um, I don't know what that will mean, because uh, obviously we don't know of any real awesome gameplay hook that Switch has that could be made into a game. But uh, right. I don't think it will necessarily be a like hardware showcase hook, but I think they need some kind of new game. Uh, so I don't know if we're going to necessarily see Nintendo pull out like a, a Nintendo Land type game that really is supposed to be their sort of party game for the Switch. But what I could see them doing is uh, putting in some elements into some of their existing games to uh, mm-hmm. to, to show off basically the, the way you can use it on the go. We've heard that they're going to do an updated version of Splatoon that has a 1v1 local multiplayer mode. And I think you could see features like that coming to more games, too, like maybe a, a Mario Party game where there's a lot of uh, local multiplayer elements put into yeah. it, like maybe games specifically designed for the local multiplayer or game modes specifically designed. Especially having 1v1 modes that are really compelling in most of their yeah. games. Like, stuff like Street Fighter getting popular that way is, like, the potential for some of these old games from, like, the 80s and 90s era to become popular again from their two-player multiplayer will be really instrumental in making Switch successful. Yeah, it's kind of a a new take on couch co-op or couch multiplayer. Right. It's it's a little bit more like arcade multiplayer, but the arcade is not moved to your living room. It's it's going everywhere that you go. You're taking yeah, the, exactly. the social scene of the arcade out everywhere. Um, I mean, at least if this thing takes off, of course. If they use those features well, and if uh, they, they market this thing in a way that people are willing to actually play this thing everywhere and not just sort of see, oh, there's that guy at the cafeteria with his Nintendo Switch again. Karen. Oh, Karen. Um, I think that, uh, Andrew, in response to your question, what they're going to want to do is some kind of thing that can uh, get mobile gamers hooked on the Nintendo experience and not necessarily through, you know, stuff like Candy Crush and like Angry Birds and the way that those things are just like quick games that you get really hooked on, but something that really ties the mobile experience to the gaming experience in a way that games are meant for your console and companion apps are meant for your phone. And uh, so this is a great transition into our next question. Remy Roby Show, sorry if I mispronounced that. Remy asks, what are your thoughts on Nintendo's Mii Creator? Should they ditch it for Switch, or do you guys have any suggestions to improve on it? Uh, And I think that this is really important because I think that they should take Tomodachi Life and essentially turn it into the entire Mii hub world. So I don't think that Mii's, the way they've been implemented in in the 3DS and the Wii U, have been good at all like they were really cool in the first year or two of the Wii era when they were implemented in Wii Sports Wii Sports Resort you know you could do some party games with them Um, but what they were really great for is is bringing 
people who were not traditionally gamers, like moms and and grandmothers and grandpas, into playing video games because they could, you know, make this sort of silly cartoon character themselves, and then they were the ones playing sports. It drove a sort of personal connection, uh, and I think Tomodachi Life does something similar. I think that this kind of app would need to be free for Switch in the way that the Mi Creator has always been. Um, but I think that that's where they need to make everything related to Mi's centralize around. So that's where everything happens. The Mi Creator is in Tamadachi Life. Uh, the Mi Plaza would be a location in Tamadachi Life where you go and play Street Pass games for whatever Nintendo wants to do about Street Pass. Um, so build all the social games and features related to Mii's into a more forward-thinking version of Tomodachi Life and make Mitomo its little mobile companion. Uh, you know, it shares the same room. Your Mitomo friends are like the ones who are living in your Tomodachi apartment. Um, I think the Tomodachi Life name would have to undergo a bit of a rebrand, but there's definitely a future for Mii's if they can recombine all these weird little ideas and all these weird little offshoots the Mii characters have represented in the Wii U and 3DS generation. Um, because all of those ideas are good, but they don't have a central hub around which this idea of Mii's makes sense in the modern age. So I think that a hub on the game console and a companion on the phone in the form of Mitomo, that's the way to do it. Connect it to my Nintendo. They all share the same sort of information. And while I don't know if Nintendo will actually recombine those 3DS and Wii U ideas into an experience like that, I think they've got a ton of potential. Well, we said it here on the show, so it's going to happen now. Absolutely. <laughs> I actually kind of think they should go the opposite way from what you're saying. Really? And the reason why I think that is because we've seen them try a lot of sort of gamific- gamification of, of system settings interfaces over the years, mm-hmm. and none of them seem to have been good at attracting people to the system. Well, I don't see this as a system settings in any way. Well, if you if the me creation happens in this Tomodachi Life app. Well, I don't think Mii's should be really used for, for much of Nintendo's software going forward. That's the thing. I think that they should be their own little social sort uh, of uh, So you want them so, isolated in a social, right, in right. A social I, app. They should not be I playable see. characters in Wii Sports anymore. Like they, they were good for that when they wanted to bring new gamers into Nintendo games. What they need to do now is give people little mobile avatars so that the Mii's can represent the social element of your person playing Nintendo games. So that's that's the th- little thing you see interacting on screen with your friends who are playing Nintendo games, but really what you're interacting about is Nintendo games. Sure. And so then are you also divorcing Mii's from the sort of user icon element of... Uh... Uh, I mean, you can have Mii's as your user icon for, like, your profiles and stuff. Like, they could still be in Smash Bros. It wouldn't make sense not to have them there. But, uh, like, I, I don't think that they should be using Mii's as, as representatives of the players in the games. I think that in they the should really be sure. all about representing your friends on your Nintendo system and interacting with friends. Because that's what they're really good for in this day and age. So... Sure. I, I get, yeah, I guess my, I, I, I like the idea of a social app experience. Like, that's fine. Right. Uh, and I, I, I'm fine with it being based around me's because what else are they going to base it around, really? Uh, right. Animal Crossing. Like, I don't know. Um, but if the me's are f- used outside of this social experience in any way, like, for example, in your friends list, uh, things like that, I would really prefer them not to be included in this sort of weird game app yes. experience. I agree with that. If that makes so, sense. So, Oh, completely. I am totally with you. And the reason why I say that is I really like the minimalism of, for example, the NES uh, classic uh, menu, where it's pretty much games and game settings, and that's all that you really need to see on the main menu, and you don't need to go through some kind of weird interface or open an app to get to a basic, like, system function, like creating your... Oh, yes, I completely agree with you. What I I was sort of thinking is, like, when you press the home menu, for example, and bring up your friends list, um, you know, maybe it'll show their Mii's next to their little player icons but it wouldn't actually you wouldn't have to go through this I see. tomodachi life revamp in order to get to your friends list kind of like playstation home it sounds like yeah but I, done, you probably haven't you know, used that not very much. sure <laughs> yeah um, uh, essentially okay. like a modern version of playstation home that works because mobile technology is, is a thing now um i think mitomo okay. has really good ideas but it just doesn't have the groundwork really to become successful yet and i think that they can lay that groundwork with switch if they connect it to like my nintendo and really just connect it to the nintendo gaming experience as a whole um, sure. because right now mitomo feels like very much its own thing you have to like mitomo itself in order to use it um same goes for tomodachi life you have to like tomodachi life itself in order to use it but neither of these things are really complete experiences in their own right at all um if they sort of recombine them together and let them be accessed 
both as a Nintendo game on the Nintendo Switch, um, which is just, again, like a free pack and app, and sure. a mobile companion game that you use to interact. You can, you know, sort of, okay. you can interact with your friends and get my Nintendo coins and stuff, but maybe you can't take as many pictures, like, by the beach or, like, send your Miis into doing those little, like, boy band things. Um, you know, th- those ideas would all be saved for the app, while on Mitomo, you just do, like, the social interactions, you get coins, you answer questions, stuff like that. I guess I was filtering this question through the me creator aspect of it and focusing on that. Um, Because I know one of of my biggest problems with Wii U was, and I don't think they should embed that so much in the basic system interface. Like, the Warawara Plaza was kind of a cool idea, but then I didn't need to interact with it every time I turned on my Wii U, and it was sucking up, like, systems. Yeah, no, I I think that they really need to revamp, uh, because creating Miis was a big focus on the Wii, and it should not be the focus of Miis on Switch. exactly. So I, I just want them to avoid the temptation to do something like that. Totally agreed. Cameron Landry asks, You'd presumably scan Amiibo on the Switch screen slash controller so that you could scan them portably. But when playing on the TV, wouldn't you have to take the controller out of the dock to scan, thereby making the screen go black? This would make games like Amiibo Festival and Mario Party 10's Amiibo mode virtually unplayable. Not that they aren't already. Um, I agree with you. They are not already, but um, I would just imagine that the little Switch puppy controller, the dock that holds the Joy-Cons while the Switch is in its base unit, has an Amiibo scanner on it in the middle section. Yeah, it's really simple to slap an NFC scanner on. It takes up almost no space at all. Yeah, and then, you know, you can play it on the go if you scan by tapping them on the screen like you do on 3DS, and then you can play it at home if you tap the Switch puppy controller uh, with the Amiibo. Um, and I can't think of a use case that wouldn't have one or the others, and assuming the puppy controller is packed in. I guess the real question is, do they put an NFC scanner in the Pro Controller as well? And probably. Probably not. But I mean, why wouldn't they? But It's but probably very they? small, and there's probably enough space just right under the Switch logo on that thing. Only reason I'm skeptical is because they didn't even throw a gyroscope in the Wii U Pro Controller. Yeah, I, I like, agree with you. Come on. Yeah. There is precedent that they that they don't take the Pro Controllers. They make that seriously. Not but hopefully, that hopefully they know that they need to this time around. They can call it the semi-pro controller. From semi-pro. <laughs> I would love to see them do a, customi- a customizable thing like Xbox does, but that's yeah. that's another topic for another day. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's what the Joy-Cons are for. Custom order Joy-Cons. Do it, Nintendo. Yep. Kevin asks, as the Mother 3 rumor has sort of died down by now, and as Emily Rogers seems to have mostly correct information, do you think the game could actually still be translated and localized for Wii U, or rather switched over to the Nintendo Switch instead? You know, at, at this point, I, I, they've waited so long, I almost think it will be Switch instead of Wii U yeah, if it's still too. happening. But I don't know why you wouldn't do both. Yeah, they'll time it for Switch, but who knows if they'll make it for Wii U. I think they would make it for Wii U and time it for Switch. Like, I, I think the last I heard Emily Rogers say about this is that uh, she has heard conflicting things, but one of the things she's heard is that it's already translated, it's ready to go, it's just sitting on a shelf. Yeah. Um, and now don't don't take my word for that because I am just sort of recalling my memory and God knows that may be horribly wrong. But <laughs> I have a feeling that that is the case either way and uh, I can't imagine that they wouldn't be using Mother 3 to sort of herald in the virtual console and their virtual console plans on Switch. You know, we've talked before about, like, they might rethink what the virtual console is, what their idea of re-releasing their back catalog of games is. Um, So I think whatever they're going to do, even if it's just virtual console the same way we've always seen it, uh, Mother 3 is going to be timed to come out sort of at the beginning of this digital retro gaming platform that Nintendo's got going for Switch. Um, and then, of course, we'll just be released on the Wii U eShop. Anyone who doesn't want to switch and still has a Wii U can get it. So, any other comments, or should we move on? No, I think it pretty much sums it up. All right. Oh, I guess one other thing, just sort of for um, some perspective here. Uh, Bill Trinan, right after the Game Awards, tweeted, What games do you want to see more of from Nintendo? And the only thing that I saw consistently, besides Mario and Zelda the 3D Mario and Breath of the Wild, was Mother 3. Mother 3 was everywhere in those Twitter responses. They are absolutely doing this. Like, there is no way that they're sitting on this game much longer than 2017. Like, it's happening. Yeah. David Kimball asks, Do you expect to see more Nintendo 64-style games on the Switch, particularly Mario 64 and Banjo-Kazooie-style games? Um, You know, we already know that the 3D Mario is... 
are, there are already reports that the 3D Mario is uh, very similar to Mario 64, Galaxy Sunshine, and its mission structure. Um, and we've seen stuff like Ukulele, which is you know hugely inspired by Banjo Kazooie collectathon platformers uh, of yesteryear. Um, and we also know that Crash Bandicoot, like the remasters coming, and so 3D platformers are having their sort of revival moment here. So I would totally say, yeah, we can definitely expect it. You know, at the very least, we're getting the 3D Mario and Ukulele anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would say depending on how well those games do, Nintendo will decide if it's it's worth investing in more projects similar to them. Definitely. Yeah. And Nintendo should consider investing in Platonic. Absolutely. Buy Platonic, yeah. buy Yacht Club. Boom. Um, another game I really hope shows up on Switch is A Hat in Time. But that game's been kind of quiet for a while, so who knows what's Yeah, it's been very it. quiet, and I feel like most of what it's hoping to do has already been kind of out overshadowed by Ukulele since they're sure. the actual creators. Of, yeah. of Banjo-Kazooie. I did love A Hat in Time when I saw it, but well, I feel I mean, like it's time, Hat time has passed. Its, it has its art style going for it. It has its sort of universe, like, basis for its universe going for it. Um, like, I don't think it'll be a, a game that gets totally overlooked, but to- definitely not as, as significant as it was before. Right, right, right. Beyond the the, pl- the 3D platformers, though, I do I would like to see more, uh, like, for example, sports games that aren't enthusiast-focused and are instead fun-focused. Like, for example, like sure. a Snowboard's Kids-type game. Yeah, Or, cool. uh, like, a Beetle Adventure Racing sort of thing, where it's uh, really... F-Zero? Yeah, F-Zero. Stunt Race FX! Come on! <laughs> Two-player <laughs> Local racing, yes! Like another Excite game, like something like that. Like those those kinds of games kind of have disappeared from Nintendo consoles, and I'd love for them to come back. And not just sports games, but there's also there were also a bunch of offbeat action games on Nintendo 64, and even though not all of them were like awesome, it was still cool that they were there. Yeah. Like I'm, I remember Glover. Oh, Glover, wow. Right? Yeah. Like it wasn't Jeez. it wasn't that those, that game was particularly great. It was just cool that it was there and the, the variety was there. It was very quirky and it was interesting. It was still fun and good. Like it doesn't yeah. it wasn't necessarily an enormous significant title, but like these things there's something that formed very strong memories. Like the Nintendo right. 64 resonated with its players so well, I think, because it had a lot of those quirky games that made a strong impact even if they weren't all that great. You know, sure. it, it yeah. was it was something exactly. that really stands out and continues to stand out because it was just so unique yeah so that's what i'd like to see not just 3d platformers but all that sort of lost variety that we don't have these days yeah that'd be really nice Finally, uh, Antonio Villarreal, I'm sorry if I mispronounced that, I'm sure I did, asks, uh, thinking on that rumor of having a third version of Pokemon Sun and Moon for Switch, and considering that we already have fire and water type Pokemon in Smash, don't you guys think that it could be an interesting possibility to have Decidueye as a grass type character and keep up the Pokemon momentum for its sales? I mean, Decidueye, obviously we have to go with Alolan Executor. Oh man, <laughs> yeah, of course. I, I want to know why we're not putting Nebby in Smash. Yeah. <laughs> Because Nebby's in the bag. I I think Doug Frio's earned it. Alt skin would be a low in form. Um... Uh, jokes aside, um, I do. I think it mostly depends on how far they want to take the Switch version of Smash. Uh, like, I think we all agree that the likelihood of new characters is pretty uncertain, and that even if new characters do happen, you know, like, will they be there out the gate? Like, is there a new DLC plan or what? Or even like, maybe they'll put in some some veteran characters like Ice Climbers or like Young Link or Pichu or something. But you know, who knows if that's even going to happen? But I think if, and that's a big if. If they want newcomers and they want Pokemon newcomers uh, to represent Sun and Moon, which, to be fair, would make sense. They're the fastest-selling games in the Americas and Nintendo's history already, so that's huge. But, uh, yeah, if they want newcomers and they want Pokemon newcomers, Decidueye would be a great choice. You know, he reps the grass type. He's got a lot of potential for a unique play style because uh, he's a sniper and a ghost. A ghost would be really cool to have in Smash. Um, mm. So, yeah, Sure. Decidueye would be great, but it yeah. doesn't seem terribly likely. If any new uh, Pokemon from those games is being set up for that role, though, probably Decidueye. I would agree. I would agree. I'd also like to see Rotom Dex, but I'm biased. I hope not Incineroar. <laughs> yeah. I hope not Incineroar. Uh, no, yeah, no. please no. No please more. Not. It's Maybe it's a fire dark type, but it's a, it's a fighting Pokemon. Not fighting type Pokemon. Yeah. It's a fighting not, Pokemon anyway. Ugh. Not interesting anymore. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's interesting, but it really needed to be named Bell Tigre. That was its Chinese name, and I, I will never get over that. All right. Well, should we head to the tea table? Let's. Let's do it. Let's go to the tea table. Tell the time. Here we are 
at the Tea Table, the show's classic discussion segment where we share our long-form thoughts on a specific subject, whether it's recent news or something in Nintendo's past or something about their games, whatever it may be. This week, we have got an incredible Zelda trailer at the Game Awards, revealing so much information for Breath of the Wild. I'm going to assume that you guys listening have all seen it, and if you haven't, Pause the podcast, look up that trailer, watch the heck out of it, get hyped, and come back here because, wow, I think we should just dive in. All right, so uh, they revealed quite a few things here. It starts off with a Sheikah teardrop. Um, It looks like this sort of canvas thing is... The sort of like from the intro cutscenes of the game or some yeah the storytelling story elements yeah um, reminds me a lot of Skyward Sword's intro yeah for yeah. sure the way that the paintings move um, but of course it reminds me a lot of the way that they told the introduction to the Wind Waker to a link yes to the past. which is one of my favorite game intros of all time I find it really interesting that they're using a tapestry because this yeah. game seems to be drawing so much from so much of the Zelda series totally and it's just a really fitting image to be telling the lore of this game through a tapestry totally and we'll we'll get into that that uh, a lot soon um but i think one thing that stands out to me of this tapestry stuff is this group of people that they have like harvesting seeds and cultivating the land i suppose of hyrule um they seem kind of shrunken and like they seem almost like this weird combination of like gross little like creatures like Gollum from lord of the rings but um Mm -hmm. in a very zelda like way they They don't look distinctly human right they well they 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 look kind of to me like a mix between deku scrubs koroks and um you know like early hyrule settlers so i don't know i don't know whether this is like a new race of people or if this is like maybe it's early moblins or something um but th- th- this really stood out to me. I think that this is actually going to play a bigger role in the game than we think so far. I think you might be able to meet this race. And the one uh, looks like it's holding an axe, too. Yeah. Yeah. So I think this is really cool. Um, I don't know if there's anything to draw from it, really. but um... I did see some people speculate, and I'm not sure how much I buy into this personally, but mm-hmm. that the trees in the beginning sequence, which look like they have faces, kind of, Ooh. Um, might have been... The old the, gods? The Koroks are present in this game. They might have been uh, the result of the Deku trees sort of plan oh, to plant trees in yeah. the in Wind, Wind Waker, Waker. to, to re- restore the land. Oh, man, that is um, genius. And so maybe that's, that's a timeline reference. I hope so. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that's really genius. And we'll see we'll see um as we as we get deeper into this uh discussion, you know, there are lots of callbacks in this trailer to various games in the series, you know, building on what we saw of the Temple of Time, um, from Ocarina of Time, of course, in the Great Plateau. Uh we see lots of other stuff here that I think is from several different games in the series. So um uh next uh the next thing that really stood out was this village of people. Um, and they actually, like, there's a sequence in the trailer that goes through a couple of different little village settings, and it looks like they are different settlements. Um, yeah, definitely. So what I love about this is that this feels very Miyazaki in the way that these tribes are sort of implemented into the world. It reminds me very much of Mononoke. Yeah, their dwellings in particular look like something out of Mononoke. Yeah, they feel like these civilizations are very, very ingrained into this this world of of wilderness, like... They are small settlements. They seem somewhat nomadic. Um, the most mm-hmm. permanent structure that we've seen that seems inhabited still and not just in ruins um, is like this little this little hut with this big. It seems like a straw horse's head or like maybe a loftwing's head or something like that. Um, it's probably a horse's creature. head because uh, if you get when you get to the close up shot of that building, there's a, a shot of the door, and above it is a t- uh, another tapestry showing a guy with a horse, and okay, the guy's yeah. riding a horse. Yeah, as and well. there's dogs, and, there's and it's dog. so cute, and it's actually like responding to things around it. Yeah, is this yeah. the first time we've seen dogs in Zelda besides just the little annoying yappy Yorkie? Well, there's the ones in Ocarina of Time. There's the and ones Twilight Princess. In Twilight too, Princess. Right? Are there? But oh, that's right, really, Twilight Princess. Okay. In Twilight Princess, they didn't really do anything. You could, like talk to them as wolf link but they didn't really have too much to say yeah these these dogs are dynamic and alive yeah i feel like these dogs may have some 
more interesting application in the game, whether they're useful well, in any we way. Know you can or go you can hunting with Wolf with Link, so maybe you'll be able to like tame wild dogs and go hunting with them if you don't have the Wolf Link amiibo. Oh my god, that oh, would yeah. be amazing! Oh my yeah. god! Oh, and one thing we kind of passed over before we got to the village, but there's a yeah. scene where you see two warriors out fighting in the field. So maybe the dogs will come and join the warriors. Oh, I don't they, think I noticed they... that. Are yeah, Link warriors? is Link like, is think... fighting a moblin, and if you look in the background, there's someone else also I fighting a moblin. I don't oh. even think that's Link. I think that's two NPCs. I think oh, that might it? be NPCs. Maybe that's Alex. You were saying, you know, maybe Zelda could have oh, yeah, right. features like Dark Souls, where people can join each other's worlds. Maybe that's that in some way. That could be cool. Yeah. So that could be that could be the way other players are represented. It could just be you hire NPCs, kind of like you do in Skyrim and some other RPGs. Like I don't know. Or it could just be emergent systemic sort of stuff where the NPCs just go out on their own and do yeah. stuff. Totally, and you meet them just Which that would be really cool, because, you know, that was one of the things I like most about Majora's Mask, is how everyone in the game has their own cycles and schedules that they're on. You know, you can find them out in a certain area of the game at a certain time. So it would be great if you can just find people out, like, hunting for food or battling monsters or just doing various things in the overworld. It it would make it feel a lot more living. Yeah, and we've already seen a little bit of that with the old man from the the plateau, who will sometimes go and cut, chop wood, and so this is Mm -hmm. all really great. Yeah, and the woodcutter and everything. Um, so after that, that little civilization, we see this area that has a couple hills. It's got some fences and some huts there. It's very colorful. There's uh, a lot of living greenery over here and posts with banners flying between them. Um, it looks like this place is a very early settlement or at, you know maybe one that's been lived in for a while and it's just sort of at the beginning of its harvest season uh, where things are planting and starting to grow. But this area in particular really, really reminds me of Skyloft. Mm-hmm. It's got lots of hills. It's got, uh, like, little very small land bridges connecting, like, one ledge to another or or one area of, like, a house to another. Um, and especially this series of, like, tall posts with, with these little banners strung around them. Uh, that really, yeah. really reminds me of the decorations that Skyloft had. The huts feel very Skyloft. Um, I don't know if this, you know, is the what happened to skyloft but it definitely makes me think that this is some sort of settlement uh if not descended from them in lineage then at least in spirit uh you know from the developer side i agree i mean i don't know it's all it's all, they're all highly ends inevitably right so then they're all that's true so there's, yeah. A, there's yeah. bound to be a connection of some sort they all they have like only three architects in all of hyrule but in particular what really reminded me of it besides just the visual layout is is that it seems to be a sort of a little settlement based around harvesting and cultivation yeah uh, and maybe that's those little things we saw in the tapestry earlier on in the trailer um but you know given that that skyloft had all the stuff going on with the pumpkins and like the beanstalks and the bamboo i feel like there's got to be some connection there uh and then so after that we see a very big revelation uh bird-like creatures we don't know if they're friends or foes bird person uh, but there's this giant flying machine maybe we don't know if it's like an airship or if it's an entire like civilization living up there um but it is this big flying machine and it's probably what we've seen in the background of some other videos because we yeah. saw what looked like a floating island of some kind in uh, in previous trailers so yeah, definitely. Um, so we see this big up, updraft of wind, which reminds me very much of the updrafts that Link can catch on his sailcloth. Mm-hmm. So that might be how he gets up there to the flying machine is by finding one of these these updrafts and makes his way up. Or maybe there's yeah, some there's, new there's kind there's of holes item. in the fencing for where you could possibly jump into the into the stream. I, I've had a couple of uh, remarks on this, my own thoughts and things that I've seen from other people, but I actually just thought of something that I think would be the coolest. Um, this obviously has some similarities to, like, loft wings because, you know, they're flying creatures, big beaks. Um, the Skyward Sword-esque aesthetic really reminds me of the loft wings in particular, too. Mm-hmm. Um, so this could be descended from that in some way. Uh, it could be uh, connected to the Rito tribe in some way. I've seen some comparisons of this flying ship. To me, when I first saw it, it looked kind of like a big loft wing-esque creature. Uh, obviously, not alive, but it's a big machine. But uh, I noticed someone making a connection to the Helmarok King in design. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I wonder if this this group of birds is related in some way to Helmaroks. Um, so there are a lot of potential story connections to other pieces of Zelda lore from throughout the history of the games. But what if these are the rocks? And this is how you get the rocks feather. And you fly up to their civilization with the rocks feather. That would be pretty cool. Oh, I'm so excited. 
There's another comparison that I saw, which is there's an obscure enemy in Adventure of Link that's sort of toward the end of the game where there's these warrior bird creatures, and they're called, like, Fokka, oh. I think. I don't know how oh, you're wow. supposed oh, yeah. to pronounce that in English. That would but, be really but cool. But they look a lot like them. Uh, and we haven't seen them, obviously, since Adventure of Link. That would be really, uh, so really cool. cool. I love it when they tap deeper into the Zelda lore in things that were already pre-established. Um, you know, when they make new lore stuff like the the volcano creatures in Skyward Sword and uh, stuff like that, I, I enjoy it. But what I really love is when they make the world that's already been laid out make more sense with itself and, and be yep. more consistent. So if this is, yep. is this is calling back to Zelda 2 and explaining those guys, that would be amazing. Yep. Um, same with the rocks. Yep. And just another kind of random observation. If you look at the airship, uh, mm-hmm. it sort of has these sort of purple, magical pulsating lines, kind of like the Guardians when they're yeah. activated. Yeah. So um, mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of speculation that maybe this is a dungeon. Oh, yeah, this could definitely be a dungeon. This scene where we see the bird fly up is also, I think, the first time that we've seen Link have the Master Sword on his person. Yes, and we also see it later in the game, too. Um, so it's the first time he's got the Master Sword, uh, and that could mean that you are supposed to get the Master Sword by the time you see this. It could mean that the player just emergently found the Master Sword successfully. Um, but the other things that, that uh, are really cool, I think, about this are it also reminds me of the ancient civilization in Twilight Princess. Um, so maybe this is yeah. related to that in some way, like the ancient civilization of the Uku, which were also birds, um, abandoned like that flying city, and then this... This flying city is maybe well, like the new thing that they or their Zelda descendants. Zelda is all about its flying cities and weird bird yes. creatures. <laughs> and it's funny that it's funny that you say that because in Twilight Princess HD, there was actually a texture added to the game, or a, a, actually a series of textures, but one of them depicted bird people that looked really pretty much a lot like the Ritos. So I, I'm wondering if they're sort of retroactively working these guys into the lore. That would be really interesting because I was thinking the reason I specifically thought of this is because the propellers on this ship that make it fly really remind me of the Flying City um, in the way that that, yeah. that, no, that right. had propellers all around the bottoms. Um, there were some propeller puzzles involved, um, and the hook shots would always grab onto lots of like propeller-like things. And you fought a bird at the end, so you know there's there's so many connections here. Well, and if this is if there's a city in the sky, they'd need a way to get around, and an airship's the perfect yeah. way to do that. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So I am, oh man, I am so stoked to see how they could tie so many of these things together. Uh, should we move on though? Sure. Yeah. Flying City, all exhausted. So we got some more shots of like guardians, um, and I think Alex, you mentioned that the Flying City had these pulsating sort of magenta lines, uh, sort of a fuchsia almost. And these shots of the yeah. guardians, they're glowing in the same sort of fuchsia color. So that's really interesting. And I also think that it's interesting that right before they show the guardians running around in the field, they they give us another look at the like tapestry storytelling element. Yeah. And it's Hyrule Castle just with an army of these guardians in front of it. Yeah, and it's not clear whether the army is invading or defending. And uh, right. I think you could make a case for either. So that's really interesting to me. Um, but next up, the first of one, possibly two women that they show in this trailer. Um, they just show a brief side shot of someone uh, who is holding her hands together. Uh, her clothes seem very functional. So, I, you know, a lot of people have been speculating, is this female Link? Is this Link's sister Linkle? Uh, maybe it could be Ariel coming back in some way. Um, not that the Wind Waker Ariel would be alive, but just in the same way that, you know, Zelda recycles characters like Dompe and Impa all the time. So maybe Ariel mm-hmm. could be here. And, uh, you know, she's got, like, a sort of adventurer's pouch. She's got the same color blue and sort of gold decorations that uh, Link has uh, when he wakes up and and when he's got his blue sort of clothes and cloak and everything. So uh, people have been speculating who this character is and what do you guys think? I'm a little more inclined to think it's this iteration of Princess Zelda rather than uh, a female Link or Linkle. I actually think this is a different character than a character we see later in the trailer. That one who I believe is Princess Zelda. Do you? Okay. I I haven't had like a close enough comparison of the two, I guess. They have have totally different outfits. Uh, They both have long blonde hair, but uh, Mm -hmm. they have totally different outfits, which either says to me that this is... Uh, one woman and the one at the end is another woman who I think is uh-huh. Zelda or that this is one woman who maybe is Zelda, maybe she's playable um, but but that uh, this woman, you can change her outfit just in the same way you can change Link, which would also indicate that she's a playable character that you can sort of uh, tweak around the outfits and armor sets with um, and that that cutscene that they showed later in the trailer is just uh, the same character dressed in a different set of clothing. And of course, yeah. Nintendo had to film it in such a way where you don't get to see her either woman's face. So they got to keep the suspense. Oh, of going. course. 
They want yeah. us to be talking yeah. about this. We are playing right into their hands. <laughs> I'm fine with that. Oh, it's um, so exciting. This is what I want to do. I'm definitely inclined to agree with Colin, though. I think I think they might be different characters. Uh, I think even if they're the same character, at least the character's role has sort of changed somewhat, yes. possibly because like of Link's Zelda absence situation. from the world. Yeah. Uh, like, I could totally see this being a sort of female heroine that's sort of risen up to defend people in Link's absence. Definitely. Um, in which case, I could see this character being playable at some point. Um Either uh, through the main story or, and this is an idea that I'd really like to see fleshed out in a sort of new game plus where you play the game story from her perspective. Oh, that would be, that would be really great. cool. That would be and amazing. It's, like mostly the same content, but the story kind of goes a different way and you start off in a different place and all these other things. Um, like that would be a really cool implementation. Uh, right. She could be a companion character, kind of like those NPCs that we saw fighting monsters right. earlier. Like, I don't know how she'll be implemented, but. I think they could make cutscenes uh, that tell the story as the game goes on but are just tweaked in small different ways depending on how much of the world that you've explored as link um because obviously yeah. players are going to be getting items in totally different ways like this is a very 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 non-linear zelda game um so i think that they could use this character potentially to just explain anything that you do as link that you've accomplished that needs some sort of uh like where in order to progress the story something else has to have happened in the game but because you have gotten to this point in the game and not done the 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 previous requirement, they just explain it by saying, like, oh, yes, this other player character has sort of achieved that. Like, Zelda did this while you were away, or Linkle did this, um, and so this is why you can now activate the Guardians, for example. Um, sure, yeah. And then, yeah, and then just do the exact opposite if you're playing as Linkle or Zelda or whoever this is, um, and they say, yeah, the other hero somewhere else figured it out. Like, you don't even need to think about it. They wouldn't even necessarily tell you about it. They would just say, story's moving on, as is, don't question it, and then that's how it sort of makes sense in retrospect. Sure. Because this world is so big and so exciting and so limitless. Yeah. Oh. All right, and then, yeah, Hyrule Castle is getting sort of bombarded by lots of, like, purple bright fire in uh, a later scene. Looks like the same kind of stuff we saw around uh, Calamity Ganon earlier. Yes, definitely. It reminds me of the same sort of fuchsia glow of the Guardians and of this bird civilization, so... Even though I feel like there will be a twist where the Guardians are meant to protect, this seems like it's the same sort of magical force uh, is dangerous. So perhaps there's some sort of, like, situation if they're defending Hyrule Castle where there's, like, a nuclear meltdown, but it's magic. Yeah. This sort of reminds me of two things. One of them is it seems like it's sort of a magical corruption that's sort of seeping out and and leaching onto the land. Totally. But it also reminded me of a moment in Wind Waker when uh, they describe Ganon's return as Ganon returning to Hyrule in a red wrath. Hmm. And you can totally see that in in that scene. Yeah. That's interesting. I've forgotten about that line. So that brings a question. The Koroks evolved from the Kokiri only after the Great Flood, right? Yeah. Not between... Well, Ocarina of Time and the Great Flood. The, that's how we know they came about, but there's okay. nothing really preventing them from coming about, say, in another timeline for completely yeah, unrelated reasons. Ugh, I, hate I just... <laughs> we'll we'll get into this later uh, because there's yet more to see, but I just want them to combine the timelines with this thing. Like, I can't... I, I can't do it anymore. I don't know that I'd want them to, like on the nose combine the timelines but i'd love to see them like just do an amalgamation of all the stories up to this point and sort of take it as a, an author taking creative liberty with the legends that have been done and totally. letting it be self-contained in that way absolutely i love when the zelda games feel that way oh absolutely it's the legend of zelda it's not the story of zelda it's not the life of zelda it's the legend it's yeah. the way that the story the tale has lived on told by people thousands of years down the line like this yeah. is a f- interpretation of folklore being told before us here and that's what i like to see i don't like it when they're like this is exactly what happened i like it when they reinterpret everything every time yeah like that, that's what one thing i really liked about skyward swords master sword or, origin tale is it it wasn't just verbatim the versions that we'd heard before it was a sure. completely sort of different take on that totally. story but that's also what i love about like ocarina of time versus a link to the past and versus yeah like, even yeah. for example twilight princess like they are the same basic story structure, sure, but that's a good thing. They are interpreted in different ways, and that's what I love about them. Like, yeah. you can, I, I like to think of A Link to the Past and Ocarina of Time, for example. Let's just take this example and make it as simple as can be. I like to think of that as the same story, like the exact same events, but just told, like, 
A Link to the Past is the way that one father in modern Hyrule would tell the story to his son, whereas Ocarina of Time is like how, you know, some mother in Hyrule would tell the story to her daughter, or like yeah. a teacher would like tell a class about ancient mythology, say, you know, ancient Hyrule was founded when like this and this and this happened. Some accounts say that there was a representative of the Sheikah tribe who like outlasted all the others, but some have no record of this character. Yeah, um, I always thought it was interesting how Wind Waker and A Link to the Past both reference the events of Ocarina of Time, but yeah. Wind Waker only talks about the hero and excludes the sages, yeah. whereas A Link totally. to the Past does the opposite. Yes, yeah. really focuses on the sages and their descendants and the seal on the sacred realm, but makes no mention of a hero whatsoever. Right. Yeah, so those are the ways that I love the, the Zelda games to interact with each other lore-wise, and so I, I feel like as the games grow and they try to take the timeline more and more seriously, uh, it makes less and less sense. And yeah, so when we agreed. get things like Triforce Heroes that we need to worry Looking about... Looking at you, Four Swords here. Adventures placement. Yeah, right, right? I mean, like, when we get stuff like that, that, you know, trying to make it all make sense together, uh, I, I want them to just break that up with a game that sort of recombines things, takes creative liberties, and says look, here's the way that the timeline unfolds, but it's all very open to interpretation. Like, these are supposed to be legends, and the mythology aspect is supposed to be interesting, and you're supposed to want to keep trying to think about the ways not only that these stories affected each other, but the ways that history and the countless retellings of these legends have affected the legends themselves. So, yeah, little little tangent there. Let's go back to the... Uh... There's actually a nice segue into the next thing we see in the trailer, which is a yes. ruined town with a fountain at the center that looks exactly like the one from Twilight Princess. Looks exactly like Twilight Princess's Hyrule Castle fountain area. Yep. And there's so even, is... uh, like, torn banners that resemble the banners from the Twilight Princess Castle Town Square. Yeah. So it's very clear that this is supposed to be the same place. Absolutely. So this is very clearly Castle Town from from Twilight Princess, you know, if not in actuality, then just, like, at least inspired by the same sort of idea of Castletown. Whether or not this is literally the Castletown from Twilight Princess, whether, you know, it's it's caught up in some sort of timeline thing or whatever's going on, uh, at least visually the interpretation is the same, so it plays really well into the idea that these legends, yeah, are, are up to interpretation, and so maybe this is the Castletown from Ocarina of Time, but... It looks like the one from Twilight Princess because that's the way the legends work. I yeah. love it. Um, anyway, yeah, so this is a very clear Twilight Princess callback, um, but it also means that now the story has very clear connections to Wind Waker uh, with the Koroks, etc. Twilight Princess with the castle town um, being right here. Ocarina of Time with the Temple of Time and the Great Plateau. And Skyward Sword with Hylia everywhere. And possible, like, you know, whether maybe those things are descendants of Loftwings in some way. I think they said Loftwings are, in, like, really intelligent in Skyward Sword, didn't they? They did, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, and another nice thing that we get to see in the, the town scene is we see Ganon's corrupting influence everywhere. It's yes. these purple goo and purple crystal structures, mm-hmm. and it's just... Yep, and these big stone spires spiking out of the ground coming together yeah. uh, at their All tips. All seem to be pointing toward Hyrule Castle. Yeah, they, yeah. Interesting. But then we also see Link sort of sparkling there, and I can't tell if he has the Master Sword yet or not, but it looks to me like he's mostly just got his bow. Yeah, I agree. So first of all, I think this is probably the scene where he's sort of like discovering the ruins of Hyrule and discovering, you know, his past or Hyrule's past or however they want to do this. But the sparkling is clearly significant of something, and I don't know if this is the first time we see this or if I'm just noticing this for the first time, but I notice here... Link's blue clothes at the neck piece, the visual design of those white lines form the Master Sword pointing downwards on his chest. So I don't know if that's significant in any way or if that's just a cool design idea that the artists made, but I love it. It's Um, so cool. I could see it being significant because the sword pointing down tends to imply it's at rest. And if he's the hero awakened, and he's been sleeping for 100 years, so his clothes should reflect that in some way. I hope that that's not like a actual piece of the story though i hope that that's just a sort of like poetic idea yeah. from the artist no totally agreed but it very very cool thing to notice either way um and then next is we see this other character uh or possibly same character um link is kneeling he's got the master sword they are at this sort of castle-ish type area and um how you can tell that this is at least a character in a different outfit than the other one we saw before is she has white gloves. The other character had brown gloves. Yep. Um, and she's got a dress, uh, or yes. at least what seems to be a dress decorated. Something a little some more kind. adorned than the, yes. the tunic she was wearing. And just thematically, uh, you know, I agree with what you said earlier that when Link's all sparkly and stuff, that's likely him uh, discovering 
like Hyrule civilization or right. learning about his past because it then immediately transitions into him bowing before yes. you know possibly Princess Zelda. So yeah. it just thematically all seems to flow very nicely into him discovering Hyrule. Definitely. Yeah. I've I've heard some people say that maybe these scenes with him with the Master Sword are flashbacks. Um I oh, actually kind of like that that's idea. Interesting. Uh maybe the glowing is symbolizing him having recalling a memory uh, cuz be this, really cool. this definitely looks like a castle environment but it doesn't look ruined. It doesn't look like it's covered in darkness like the castle the ruined castle scene we just saw. Well, I wonder if there's like so, a dark world and a light world and in this game you start in the dark world. That would be really awesome. Maybe. You just you just blew my mind, Colin. It, it, I just don't see them having to double the overworld. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I know. It's such a huge game like <laughs> that, it would have to be, be like the dark world would be or the light world, I guess it would be, would be much smaller. Like maybe the yeah, light like world, yeah, like pockets of, of yeah. light world. You get you get yeah. to like the Twilight Princess overworld, and things are going well there. Maybe sure. Yeah, it would have to be a, be a very small area comparatively, but I could see that potentially happening uh, to explain why so much of civilization is so torn apart in the world that you are starting the game in, and then you discover the ruins of Hyrule, and then you're transported to the place where things are going well, and that's sort of like where the resistance is growing. Sure. So yeah, there was that. Um, But that is pretty much the end of the trailer. I have a couple more thoughts I want to discuss um, from what we saw from the gameplay. Um, The only thing that I wanted to mention was uh, they interacted with this bird character. Cass, the minstrel. Who seems very similar to uh, all these things we were just talking about in the trailer. He's a traveling minstrel, and he sings songs. First of all, I noticed the song he plays on his accordion and sings uh, is the same as the song from the trailer. Yep. So that's thematically significant in a big way. Theme song. Um, His tune and his, his... uh, clues that he gives in this song are very clearly descended mythologically uh, in some way from the thing that you are trying to uncover about Hyrule's past. So that, I think, is really, really cool. Um, but I also noticed, gameplay-wise, they use him in a way that is very, very similar to NPCs in games like the original Legend of Zelda, or A Link to the Past, or Link's yep. Awakening, and the Oracle games. In particular, the NES game. Yes. Like, I didn't really appreciate it the first time I saw, but I went back and actually just read his, his hint straight through, yeah. and... This is right out of the first game. This is the same exact style of delivery. And this is the first time we've seen that sort of, like, overworld NPCs giving you mysterious hints in a 3D game, I think. Yeah, no, you're right. Which is just a whole new sense of exploration and discovery. Totally. It's always been related in some way to your next direct story objective. Like, you're going to need to talk to someone in order to, to, to accomplish this or something. Like, this is a character who you can just run into in the overworld... And whether you talk to him or not, whether you even find him or not, doesn't matter. You can still accomplish your objectives. But if you do yep. find him, it's a nice little moment. You interact with cool characters, and you also get a hint as to where you need to go next. Um, really thoughtful, so well implemented, and I am so glad that Zelda is coming back to this. It, it is very exciting and inspiring the way that they use fantastical characters to do this, like they have done with games like Wind Waker and Skyward Sword, um, but their gameplay use is is one that is very much rooted in, you know, Zelda games of old. Um, so I love seeing that. It, that is just so exciting and so encouraging. It's not going to be something that I think i will be like legitimately excited and hyped about when i get the game but it's just it's it works so well for zelda and i am so so satisfied to see this i know i'm never gonna like think of a moment to talk about it again so i just gotta get it off my chest now no no i'm (laughs) I'm totally with you it was the the most significant moment of that that gameplay footage for me too yeah um Um, i I love that it's not putting a waypoint on your map when you get it yeah it's and you can put a waypoint on your map if you want to yeah right look for this structure that kind of looks like this. Yeah, and so it's very encouraging then, too, that he is a character that you meet in the overworld outside of the Great Plateau, because that gives me a lot of hope that the Great Plateau is really the tutorial area where they do things like mark waypoints, because we saw that in E3. Um, you know, yeah. there were a couple moments where it would tell you, hey, look at the map, and, you know, hey, like, you've got a new waypoint. Listen. <laughs> so hopefully that means that once you get out of the Great Plateau, the game has forced you to interact with those mechanics as much as it ever will, and then it just opens you up to do whatever you want. Yep. Uh, the last final thing, uh, before they ended that gameplay at the Game Awards, the glowing light that Bill Trennan didn't want to walk towards, uh, that he said we were going to leave some mysteries... In that glowing light was a statue of the goddess Hylia. So it is significant in some way that those will be waypoints or perhaps markers in the overworld that unlock the next sort of uh, 
objective in some way, whether it's a significant like spiritual objective that Link actually has to hunt down in order to make progress, or it's just something that sort of upgrades your abilities. We don't know, but yeah. um, and it's another Skyward Sword connection, and it's another just sort of uh, small glimpse into the kind of gameplay structure we'll see from Breath of the Wild. Yeah, the other the other point that I found really interesting from the uh, the gameplay demo was that there was a pretty decently diverse group of enemies, like different sizes and shapes and weapons, mm-hmm. and uh, like there was some that were smart enough to avoid your bombs, and there were some that were shooting electric arrows. There was one that hit Link and did seven uh, damage, seven took away seven Ooh. hearts with a single Jeez. hit, and there were chameleon enemies that oh, like yeah, blended that in with cool. the foliage. Like a lot of people have been saying, "Oh my God, it's it's Dark Souls as Zelda now, or Zelda is Dark Souls that, now." That's, that's how was my reaction, and it's. That's really interesting to me. Zelda was Dark Souls. Dark Souls was Zelda when it came out. Yeah, yeah it's it's come full circle now. Yeah, oh, I'm so excited. Yeah. I, I was having totally the same vibes. Uh, that, that moment reminded me a lot of the Forest Temple in Ocarina of Time when I was like a kid and I was first going in there and the wolves came out and I had no idea what to do. I was screwed. Uh-huh. I was... I was young, so I was like scared that I was gonna die. Now that I, you know, know that dying in games makes things a lot more fun and interesting and challenging, I am excited by that, and I am happy at the prospect that I'm probably going to die when I just try to do some things without really thinking too much about what might be behind the corner. Um, and I love that those kind of experiences are going to be happening again in Zelda finally because they have not been for such yeah. a long time. Now, well, if we're getting into gameplay, I'll, I'll give you my condensed thoughts on things. So I, 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 I agree with both of you. I really love the enemy diversity. Like that was my the most encouraging thing about the whole the whole combat aspect to me was these enemies are doing interesting things. They're not just attacking you with melee attacks. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're grouping up on you and, and and all jumping out at you from. When there's from that one camouflage. that they threw a bomb at and he avoided the bomb. Yep. The enemy yeah. had yeah. AI that said, no, I'm, I know what's going to happen here, and I'm still coming for you, Link. Yeah, there was an enemy that cast a spell with a large area of effect, which we've never seen in a 3D Zelda game before. Oh, wow, I didn't notice that, That was actually. really cool. Like, it, it was a big dome of lightning that they that yep. one of the oh, little wow. Zelfos cast. Oh, I probably um, saw that and then just didn't remember it, I guess, then. Sure. Uh, we but, saw yeah, tons of different cool. weapons for Link to use. Uh, there was a lightning rod, which we've never really had lightning-based attacks in a Zelda game before, so that's yeah. cool. Um, he had a Lozalfo spear. Uh, mm-hmm. I know we saw this a little bit at E3, but we got to see him sort of throw it again and how that's an interesting combat me- combat mechanic we haven't seen. Um, it's just really cool how fast-paced and diverse the combat is. Totally agreed. Yeah, man. Everything that Zelda's doing with Breath of the Wild is just... I haven't seen a single thing that I can say I don't like. Right. No, totally. <laughs> I agree. Um, uh, so you mentioned, uh, Ben, that there was an enemy that took off seven, actually seven and a half hearts. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that they're showing Link with gear that we didn't have access to in the Great Plateau demo. Yeah. So yeah. probably stronger gear, and he's still taking this much damage. Yeah. Very scalable yep. game. And, you know, we, we heard a report a little while back that uh, the E3 demo that we all played was actually toned down and that the real game will be a little harder, but that they didn't want media to get too frustrated with their first uh, hands-on attempt with the game. <laughs> Which is great, because you could still get one-shotted in that demo. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I am hoping to some extent that they've got a sort of, like, Zelda Breath of the Wild light version for, like, the kids who want to play this, because, like, I don't know, I don't think I would be nearly as into Zelda as I am now. Zelda is, like, one of the best media franchises of all time i think um and i I would not have gotten into it if it weren't accessible at least for the first half of the game with games like ocarina of time and link to the past and and you know even like twilight princess and wind waker um it's important i think that breath of the wild is still accessible for kids and while i think it is more important that they make it great for adults in this way and make it this difficult uh, I do hope that they have some sort of option like difficulty, normal or well, young hero. I or think that's like that. what the gear is for, and that's what the food is for, and that's what the the damage bonuses Maybe, are for. But if you've got gear that strong and it's still doing seven hearts of damage, I don't know. I mean, I agree with you that the best way to do that is through is scaling the difficulty through the gear that's available. Um, but I just want to make I, I just want to make sure that kids can get like halfway through the game at least and really love what they're doing and not just you know have to. Yeah, lose. I mean. We haven't seen we haven't seen what progress in this game looks like really. So yeah. I don't know if, for example, they have a way to lead you kind of by the hand 
through the areas that you're most balanced for. Like, I don't know right. if they do that at all. Um, I don't know how the the weapon scaling really works when you get out in the world. Like, a lot yeah. of those things could be designed in such a way that this isn't a problem. Yeah, you're very right. And I think they should be designed in a way that that's not the problem. That would be the easiest solution. But they shouldn't do it in a way that's hand-holding, like... You know, no, for sure. Definitely the most encouraging thing about Breath of the Wild is how free you are to do your own thing the way that you want to do it. So if that guide that lets younger players and novice players who want to have a little bit safer of a journey, if that intrudes in any way on the freedom at which more competent players like us can explore... I, you know, I, that'll just be really frustrating. Give me liberty or give me death. No, absolutely (laughs) agree. Like it could be something subtle, like numbering the, the actual dungeons in some way. Like, I don't, I don't know how they'll do it, but it's possible. And Ocarina of Time even kind of gave you some freedom in the second half, but definitely gave you a suggested order in which to do things too. Right. Definitely. Like Ocarina of Time, I think did it well in that it was difficult enough, but totally playable as a kid when you were young Link. And when you turn to adult Link, like the difficulty ramped up very noticeably and just presentation. I think that put me in the mindset to say, like, okay, this is hardcore right now. This is a tough game I'm playing, and I'm going to get serious about this. So I think they can use the dramatic elements like that in Breath of the Wild to present the same sort of change in mindset of the player, too, and, and you know, use that to their advantage in some way. Sure. And maybe this is just me being optimistic, but I remember kids beating the NES Zelda games, which are certainly much harder. My wife grew up on Zelda, too. Like, so it's, they can do it. Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. But I feel like there are so many more games to play these days. I think a lot of the reason that kids could beat the old Zelda games wasn't because they were easy enough, but because they poured so much time into it because, that was you the, know, you the didn't game. just have as many games available to you. Because now kids have smartphones. And yeah, everything, yeah no, so. you're totally right. But I guess I'm, I'm a little more confident than you in the ability of the kids who will be picking up. I say a Wii U or a Switch. Oh, sure. No, I, I, to be I'm not this saying game. this to say that, that kids are bad at playing video games or anything. I'm saying this like to say that there are lots of distractions. There are lots of games available these days. Sure. There are a lot of players who play video games just because it, you know, it makes you feel good. You can have these big accomplishments without having to put yourself through too much trial. Sure. Um, and that's not to say that accomplishing things without trying is what Zelda should be. I think that's what's kind of made games in the last you know, several 3D Zelda iterations a lot less meaningful to me is that you could accomplish big things without trying too hard. Um, but I do think that they need to balance that player attitude into the game in a careful enough way that those kinds of players aren't lost in this and don't just then, you know, say, well, I'm going to go back to playing Minecraft or I'm going to go sure. back, back to playing, sure. uh, you know, ukulele or something. Yeah. And I think I think you're right. And I think Nintendo's being kind of sensitive to that because yes. we saw with the Amiibo functionality that they're very much taking the approach they took with Twilight Princess HD. And it's really you have the Amiibo. The game can be much easier for you. Totally agreed. Totally agreed. Yeah. Um. Well, we are running quite over time, Uh, so I hope you guys enjoyed this long episode. Um, Thank you all so much for listening. This is the Endo Nintendo Week for today. If you like this podcast, you can subscribe to us on iTunes or subscribe to us on YouTube at Gamnesia TV for bite-sized discussions from the show. Uh, I want to say, if you guys like what we're doing here and you want to see us grow, you want to support us, uh, YouTube is a really good way to do that, so please consider heading over there, subscribing, checking out those videos. They are awesome. We've got a great video editor. Shout out to Eric. Thank you so much for all the awesome work that you do. Um, But yeah, the videos are so fun to watch. He does great editing. There's a lot of fun animations. So even if you've listened to the show already in the podcast, it's a lot of fun to go to YouTube and check out what we have to say and the way that those videos really change things. Uh, And YouTube has also changed its formulas a lot recently to encourage like liking and commenting on videos and stuff like that. So if you want to see us grow, that is one of the biggest ways you can help us out is uh, head over there to YouTube, subscribe, uh, comment on our videos if you want to have like input on specific segments and things that we say rather than just listening to the podcast on iTunes and uh, if you want to send in like listener mail like the comments on those uh, specific videos as they come out can be a really fun way to interact with us and uh, our specific thoughts so you can do that you can please head to iTunes to leave us a review we are really working hard to make this show great for you guys so those iTunes reviews mean a lot as well Uh, and they also help a lot of new listeners discover the show so if you haven't done that please do it's greatly appreciated let's try to make it to 90 reviews we've been sitting at 86 for a little while so if there's any new listeners out there who have liked this special long episode Episode, that would be so appreciated. Uh, if you have feedback for Nintendo Week, please send it to Colin at Gamnesia.com. That's C O L I N at G A M N E S I A. Or you can find me on Twitter at Colin McIsaac, C O L I N M C I S A A C. 
And remember to send in your questions about Nintendo, about our show. We love engaging with you guys, and we read them and talk about them here on the show like we just did in the Mystery House today, so that's a great way to get involved. Again, that's Colin at Gamnesia.com and at Colin McIsaac. Alex, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at Legend of Lex. And Ben, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at Aramgard, E-R-I-M-G-A-R-D. If you can't wait till next week for more of our stuff, you can head to Gamnesia.com to see more gaming news as it happens. We got Sony, Microsoft Indie, you name it, and Nintendo news that we didn't have the time to discuss on this week's show. And you can join the Facebook group, the Nintendo Week Fun Club, to chat with us and other listeners about all things Nintendo. So uh, if you want to have fun there, please do. Uh, I know I recently turned off notifications for uh, group requests, so if there are any of those sitting on there, I apologize. I will check that very soon. On our way out, please enjoy an acoustic cover of The Lickyard, Specter Knight's stage theme in Shovel Knight by Streetwise Rhapsody on YouTube. I don't know if I pronounced Lick right. Uh, that is not in the dictionary, apparently. So, thank you so much for listening, and we hope you have another great week. On our way out, please enjoy an acoustic cover of the Lickyard, Spectre Knight's theme. Is it like? Lick? Lich? Does anyone know? Before I make a fool of myself? I'm gonna go with Lich. Lich? I'm gonna look this up. Dictionary. Lich. Nope, I did not mean lick. Alright, who knows?